Today on Locked On Los Angeles Kings, the Kings had a tough loss to the Lightning on an overall emotional night, plus an Alex Iofalo-led offense in Arizona, and the Kings make another trek to Anaheim as the Kings and Ducks face off for the third time this year. All that and more today on Locked On Los Angeles Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's Saturday, February 1st, and you are listening to a special bonus episode of Locked on Los Angeles Kings. My name is Sarah. I'm your host, and we're making up for missing a couple days this week. Uh, so we're going to throw you some excitement on Saturday. So I hope everyone feels a pleasant surprise whenever they open their podcast app at random today, maybe, and see this show pop up. But figured, you know, I had some spare time. I missed a bunch of shows this week because I was traveling. And, you know, why not? Let's put together a show. See what happens. As you probably know, if from listening to other shows this week, I was actually out in first Ontario and then Los Angeles this past week, uh, checking out the AHL All-Star Game, which was hosted in our very own Ontario, California, and then heading out to LA to take in the Kings game as they took on the Lightning, which was honestly a really great experience. Um, I, of course, go to Kings games all the all the time, but as a person who bought a ticket and sits in the stands and experiences the game that way. Uh, this time I was actually able to get to go to that Lightning game as a good old credentialed media member, which was a really neat experience. Got to meet a bunch of people who I have previously only known as like names on Twitter or faces on television and really getting to experience all of that was kind of the highlight to what was a really great trip overall. I wish that they had been able to pull out the win against the Lightning, but, you know, couldn't quite do it. Instead, I had to look at like disappointed Andre Kopitar in the locker room, which was, you know, maybe not how you want your first uh, locker room post-game interview experience to go, but, you know, can't win them all. And they just were unable to defeat the Lightning, who really overall have just been dominant the league since Christmas. They have been the best team in the league. And the fact that the Kings held their own with them for a while is impressive, really, because we know that this team is missing pieces that would make it better. And I'm not just talking about Drew Doughty being out of the lineup. I'm just talking about the overall skill and production that we're getting up and down the lineup. The team that we have today is not you know, it's not 2014, it's not 2012 again, and this team is trying its hardest, but can't quite get there all the time. So the Kings have once again took a 2-0 lead over the Lightning, couldn't hold out, couldn't finish it out, took kind of a dumb penalty, which allowed the Lightning to tie the game and sort of the overall theme, especially in talking with Todd McClellan after the game, was just that the Lightning are a team that bury their chances. And they are a team that when they get an opportunity, when they can seize on a mistake, that they are there to capitalize on it and they will make you pay. And that the Kings right now just don't honestly have the skill to do that. In watching that game, there were a lot of players who were ghosts, who were just you didn't notice them. And it is different getting the bird's eye view of the game rather than just what you see on television or even from the stands where you can, you know, only see a little bit of a a corner of a play sometimes. That game was sort of a precursor to what we saw the next night with Alex Iafalo. He was absolutely one of the King's best players, most noticeable him and Andre Kopitar. I felt like every time they were out there, they did something. They made something happen. And, you know, they unfortunately weren't able to get the goals 
but they were the Kings' most noticeable players that evening. You know, I noticed a lot of uh, Blake Lazat, which was great, especially coming back from uh, from an injury. The fact that he was able to jump right back in and kind of pick up where he left off with being a sort of noticeable player uh, was really good. Austin Wagner noticed him a lot for breakaways, but not converting. Uh, noticed him a lot for wrong reasons, which, <laughs> you know, I would love to be a fly on the wall because the more and the more that I see from him, like, is it just frustration setting in? You know, we, we, we knew that he was a work in progress, but kind of figured the progress would have come a little more quickly than it has uh, so far. Players I didn't notice honestly did not notice Jeff Carter until one of the final face-offs of the game against Tampa, where he kind of sat on whoever he was taking the face-off against. Just absolutely invisible the whole game, which he's always been a guy who has streaks like that, where he is playing really strong for a while and then sort of fades into the background and then comes back up like, this is a bad time for him to be fading into the background, especially as the team as a whole is getting more and more comfortable playing with each other and playing with the systems and everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing and whatever. To have someone who's a more major player kind of fade into the background is not so great. I think Alec Martinez did a great job filling in for uh, Drew Doughty in sort of top pairing minutes. You can debate all day long whether or not Martinez is a top pairing defenseman, if he's overrated, whatever. But when called upon to take on the Drew Doughty role, uh, he has looked great. Uh, you know, I still think of the game that they played without Doughty in the playoffs uh, against Vegas and it was like, what, double overtime or whatever? And Alec Martinez played some absurd amount of minutes and just really left it all out there. You know, unfortunately, the Kings weren't able to win that game, but I think that he had, you know, a phenomenal game like that. And he is someone who, whenever he is called upon, uh, he really elevates his game, which is something you like to see in a player and which is something, honestly, that teams who are looking to potentially acquire him would like to see as well. Uh, so Dowdy being out is bad for the Kings, but potentially good for Alec Martinez and potentially good for the Kings in that someone may see Martinez stepping up and taking on this bigger role and be more willing to give a bigger trade package in return to get him. Um, as much as it pains me to think about him going literally anywhere else, that's the way hockey works. And he may be on his way out soon. And we just have to hope we get the best deal possible for it if we're going to say goodbye to someone who is uh, a fan favorite and forever an icon of King's history, thanks to his playoff work. The biggest moment, of course, in that game was the truly epic two-minute penalty kill from the Kings, where they essentially got hemmed into their their own zone the whole time, like couldn't get changes. Penalty killers are exhausted. Just huge blocks from guys like I follow, Martinez, Kopitar, Joachim Ryan, who was back in the lineup after dealing with an injury. Those guys left it all out there, and Jonathan Quick was phenomenal. I don't know how he made some of those saves he did. I don't know how he got across the crease the way that he did. I was exhausted just watching it like on the edge of my seat. And it's truly a shame that as soon as the team returned to full strength that Steven Stamkos scored. Absolutely a shame. But it felt inevitable because for two whole minutes, the Kings were battling there and all because Curtis McDermott got to skate back on the ice didn't that didn't help anything. Uh, you know, he wasn't able to join the play. He wasn't able to get the puck out of the zone. He's not able, like, he's not Superman. He can't change the whole play just by getting out of the penalty box. Uh, so that was one of those moments where even though the ultimate end result was failure because they got scored on, that everyone in that arena acknowledged just what a performance that was, what a battle that was. And seeing that kind of made me think about this team in relation to last year and how Last year, I don't know that we would have seen that battle from them. 
Last year, I don't, you know, and not even thinking about coaching or systems or what Desjardins wanted from his players versus what McClellan wants from them. I just, I know they'll never say it. I know they'll never admit it. They're professional athletes. Like they all, everyone says like professional athletes don't quit, whatever. But like, are you really going to lay it all on the line with the season the Kings had last year? Are you really? Like, I, I just, with my whole heart, do not believe that we would have seen a performance like that penalty kill in any game last season. This season, it seems like the guys are playing with with their hearts, let's say, because like I said, and like Tom McClellan has said, has said, the skill isn't always there on this team. The skill is not always up to par with other teams in the league. And that's why they are, you know, all the way down in the basement. But the heart is there. The effort is there. The will to win is there. And that is truly the intangible that this team was not showing last year. So from that perspective, even though they got scored on, even though they lost the game, to see them come out, especially on an emotional night like this, and we'll get to that in just a second, uh, to see them come out and fight the whole time against the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of the best teams in the league, and never give up. And even to the last minute, you kind of thought, hey, maybe they'll tie this up, is such a change in the right direction from last year that it gives you hope for a team that everyone else is saying to just write off for the foreseeable future. Next on the show, a couple other reflections from that game against Lightning, plus Alex Ayafala's big night next on Locked On Los Angeles Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So the game against the Lightning was not only the Kings' first game back from the All-Star Week and the bye week break, but it was also the first time that anything had happened at Staples Center since the death of Kobe Bryant. And they started the game out with um, a lovely tribute video. Bob Miller joined to give a few remarks as well. The start time of the game was actually pushed back a little while, partly because it was a nationally televised game uh, and they had the Capitals and the Predators going a little long before them, but wanted to be able to push it back to try to get that ceremony on television as well so that the uh, national broadcast audience could see it. But as I've said on here before, like, I'm not a basketball person. I'm not going to use this platform to get into, you know, my feelings on Kobe Bryant or his legacy. Like, I'm the wrong person. It's not my lane. Like, I'm going to stay out of it. But, you know, especially thinking of his daughter, thinking of the other families that were on board, just a really emotional moment for everybody and for the city of Los Angeles. And being in LA as all this was happening, walking around LA Live and seeing, as I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen on, you know, on TV. TV and online, whatever, seeing how like all of LA Live has just turned into a huge memorial for him, but all of the tributes that people have written to him um, on the sidewalks, all of the drawings and the art and just seeing a whole chunk of the city just kind of come to a standstill for this uh, was really emotional. And, you know, that carried over to the game. You know, all of the players are all out, you know, on the benches waiting, being there present for this memorial and having to go out and perform after that. Um, I think that there was a quote from, um, I think it was John Cooper on the Lightning or one of the players on the Lightning talking about how the beginning of the game, it just felt a little like empty. Uh, just because they hit the, everyone was just a little drained from this ceremony and from all of the uh, emotion that you're trying to process, even if, you know, this isn't your thing. I feel like if you're a professional athlete, you know, for better or worse, like Kobe's like the guy when you want to talk about being competitive and you want to talk about, 
you know, never give up kind of attitude and whatever. Um, I think every professional athlete you talk to would probably have some sort of Kobe story or anecdote or whatever in the way that they relate it to their own uh, competitiveness. So I feel like it probably took a little while for the players to sort of shake that off and get back to normal, essentially. The game did pick up after that, so it did just take a little while for everyone to get back into the spirit of things, let's say. After the game, Kopitar did talk a little bit about the ceremony and about being able to play through that. Oh, it certainly wasn't easy. Um, I mean, we all knew it was coming. Even though uh, you know it's coming, you still get choked up, obviously. Statue, uh, like like Kobe, not just in this building, but literally all over the world. I mean, it's uh, it's going to sting for a while. And it's very unfortunate what, what happened to his family and the other families involved. And, um, you know, it's just... Uh, we're trying to obviously show appreciation and, and respect to um, you know to Mama before the game, and um, that's that's about it. I still get choked up, really. So um, at least I did. So the next night, of course, the Kings packed up, headed to Arizona, and Alex Iafalo stole the show. Uh, the Coyotes had struggled a little bit as of late. Uh, despite adding Taylor Hall, they are once again besieged by injuries, particularly in net, uh, and things aren't getting any better as Oliver Ekman Larson left the game against the Kings early because of an injury. Uh, so things are just struggling all over the place for the Coyotes who looked like they had turned it around. They looked like they were finally going to be in the playoffs for a little bit. I think they led the division or something. They looked like they were good and they still are good, but they're kind of coming crashing back to earth. All that like the PDO and the luck and the injuries and all that stuff is just finally evening back out and the Coyotes are struggling. But Alex Iafalo, of course, was the story of the game. He scored all three goals for the Kings, continued kind of his strong run of play, especially since Christmas he has been uh, really noticeable, really one of the King's best players. He's a guy who I think I'm kind of always going to defend from people who are like, why is he playing up there by Andrzej Kopitar? Like, he's doing well. He's doing the little things. And yes, would it be great to have like a, I don't know, Max Pacioretty or like, not even him, but like someone like a sniper, like somebody on the top line, like, yes, it would. But like, that's not the situation we're in. And right now having uh, this player who plays the game the right way, who plays, who has a you know very strong hockey IQ, who is, I think, getting better with every game uh, is progressing and is now looks like he's kind of finally finding that offense that we have been hoping for for ages. You know what? I like it. I think that he's good and I like him there. And until we find someone else to play up there next on Jacobatar, like, fine. Like, this is great. So he, like I said, he scored all three goals. It is his first career hat trick. He is the third player in King's history to score every goal en route to the team's win. He also joins Seth Jones and Jeff Petrie as the third player in NHL history to score within the opening 25 seconds of an overtime period multiple times in a single season. Uh, as we all know, he has done that before. Uh, he has been our overtime savior previously. And, you know, he just picked a great time to do it today. He is now up to 14 goals on the season and will definitely now surpass what he had last year as well. So great game from Alex Iafalo. Todd McClellan was really complimentary of him um, after the game. McClellan said that he that Iafalo was a player that I was aware of, but didn't appreciate from the outside looking in. <laughs> Excuse me, everyone who is like 
ripping on him for not being the kind of guy you want on a first line, there's your answer. You might just might not appreciate him because you don't really get to see the whole picture. Uh, McClellan says, when you stand on the bench or you're on the ice with him day after day, you get to understand that he's got a great hockey mind. He thinks the game well, he positions himself well, and he's got a skill set that complements it. There's very few nights when you come away wishing that you got more from Alex. He's been a real solid contributor and one of our more consistent players in all situations. That's all a teammate can ask and a coach can ask for. Uh, McClellan also pointed out that a lot of I follow success also happened because of his line mates, because uh, Kopitar and Brown both did really good jobs of distributing the puck, of making room for I follow, of, you know, creating that space for him on the ice so that he could get those shots off. And it really was a full line, full team effort on that one. Kopitar had two points, two assists on the night. Uh, there were a couple other random guys with points as well. Kempe had an assist. Dustin Brown had an assist. Back on the defense, Ben Hutton and Sean Walker, both of them also got on the score sheet. Just overall, a great night from Alex Iafalo, from the Kings to battle back after going down two to one in the second period and seeing them come away with some points from a rival team and seeing Alex Iafalo get the recognition that I think he deserves. Overall, great result. To end the show right after this, we're going to come back and talk about the Ducks because they're who we're playing today because it's Saturday and this is a bonus show of Locked On Los Angeles Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So the Anaheim Ducks, they're in just about as bad of a spot as the Kings are. They have been flip-flopping spots in the standings, these two teams. But right now, the Ducks sit just ahead of the Kings with 45 points. The Kings have 43, so a win today would pull the two teams right even with each other, although the Kings have played more games so far. So they would still be last in the Pacific overall, uh, no matter what. The Ducks did lose last night to the Lightning 4-3. There were limited shots from both teams in that game. It was, you know, low 20s, mid 20s, especially after a wild first period that featured four goals, two from each team. So everyone, I guess, just needed to calm down during that game. Ryan Getzlaff, Ricard Raquel, and Michael Delzato each had two points in that loss for the Ducks. John Gibson made 18 saves on 22 shots. Gibson going last night means the Kings get Ryan Miller tonight. Now, he has started for the Ducks once this season against the Kings. He played on December 2nd and won that matchup. Gibson has struggled a little bit, I think, and I think that any Ducks writer or podcaster uh, would back me up on this. I think Gibson str- struggles based on the team in front of him and their struggles. Uh, sounds familiar, right? But Gibson and Miller are putting up nearly identical numbers. Ryan Miller is 39 years old. He's started 12 games. He's 5-5-2 five, five, and two so far. Um, Gibson has gotten the bulk of the work. He started 39. He's 15, 21, and 3. Uh, but the fun part is when you start looking at some of their stats. John Gibson, save percentage, 0.904. Goals against average, three even on the dot. Ryan Miller, save percentage, 0.904. Goals against average, 3.01. They are putting up almost the exact same numbers. Uh, Miller is doing a little better in the quality starts stat. Gibson is doing much worse in what has been termed by, I believe, Rob Volman to be the really bad start stat. Ryan Miller just has one of those. Again, he gets limited starts, so that would make sense. Gibson, seven of them. But Pretty much when you look at all of the like who saves the goals stats, Gibson and Miller putting up pretty much the same numbers, uh, which I think is also just a testament to Ryan Miller and how good he is and his longevity. Like those aren't great numbers by any means, but they're not playing behind a good team either. 
So both goalies doing their best and Ryan Miller still playing at a really high level at the age of 39. Uh, In terms of scoring for the Ducks, they are led by Ryan Getzloff. So they're in much of the same boat as the Kings being led by a very experienced player. Getzloff has 35 points in 39 games. In terms of goal, Adam Henrique leads with 17. There are young players who are in and out of the lineup like Max Jones, Sam Steele, Troy Terry, Uh, And so kind of like the Kings, the Ducks have some of the young pieces that they're looking for. There's also like Isaac Lindstrom, there's uh, Max Comtois, there's other guys who have been doing the sort of shuffle back and forth between San Diego and Anaheim. But the Ducks and the Kings both have the young pieces that they're looking to build around, that they're looking to as their future core, but they're not all quite there yet. They're not quite at the level to become major contributors. Of the players under 22 years old on the Ducks, 21-year-old Sam Steele leads the way. He's got 16 points in 46 games. That is, by the way, pretty much on par with Blake Lazat and his performance for the Kings. Uh, Lazat is 22. He's got 15 points in 47 games. Not to compare those players in terms of skill set or, you know, whatever, but just looking at who are your young contributors, Lazat and Sam Steele are kind of lighting up the score sheets right now for their respective teams. Scoring has been a struggle for Anaheim. Uh, no stranger to that here with the Kings as well. Anaheim has 131 goals overall. The Kings have 130, so not too different there. The Ducks have won four of their last 10 and are looking to just keep on climbing out of the basement of the Pacific, and the Kings would like to keep them down there with them. So, that game is tonight in Anaheim. You can see the freeway face-off edition at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time, airing on Fox Sports West. We'll see who comes out on top in this, like, number three out of, like, 78 million times these teams meet this year. So Kings, Ducks tonight on Monday. We'll check in and see what happened. No more bonus shows this weekend. I'm tired. We'll, we'll, we'll get back on schedule this week. But Monday, we'll be back talking more about the Kings and the Ducks on Locked On Los Angeles Kings. In the meantime, before we come back with more show, you can follow me on Twitter at Right Said Sarah or at Locked On LA Kings. Find me there. Ask me questions. Let me know what you want to hear about. Tell me your wildest trade proposals and I'll see what I can do for you. Find me on Twitter. Follow the show. Subscribe to the show. That's the word I was looking for. Subscribe to the show. You can find us anywhere podcasts are found. Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever. However, however you're listening to this show, like I bet that there is a big button or link or something that says subscribe. Go click that and do the thing and then you'll get this show on your podcast thing uh, every time it airs. And of course, the most important thing of all, tell your friends all about it. Make sure anyone you know who likes the Kings tunes into this show and so they never miss news or details or information or anything all coming at you basically every day a week. This last week was bad. We'll we'll deal with that. But we've got Kings news for you all the time here on Locked on Los Angeles Kings, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.